Welcome to Point by Point, conversations, interviews, and legal commentary for today's business professionals. Brought to you by Waller. Restaurants, bars, entertainment venues, and tasting rooms have closed their doors as a result of stay-at-home orders. These businesses have rapidly shifted their business models in order to generate revenue and keep some employees working. Food and alcohol delivery, curbside pickup, groceries, and even the manufacturing of hand sanitizer. Will Cheek and Rob Pinson, leaders of the firm's alcoholic beverage team, discuss the changes in licensing and regulations, what's ahead for restaurants, bars, distilleries, and other hospitality clients, and practical considerations as they contemplate the future of their businesses. Will and Rob, thanks for joining us today. Many states right now are planning to lift their safer at home orders over the coming weeks. And and this reopening of the economy will happen in phases and will involve strict social distancing protocols. And to start, I'm I'm curious, Will, from your perspective, can you give us a general sense of, of what you're seeing in terms of the reopening process? What does that look like, particularly for those in the restaurant business um, and retailers as well? So reopening, the rules for it are going to vary widely depending on what state you're in. To make it more complicated, a lot of states, Tennessee is one of these where the governor's order specifically allows cities to be able to enact more strict or less strict measures. So the rules are going to really vary and it'll be really interesting with cross state. You know, in fact, we saw a really interesting thing. Pennsylvania shut down their liquor stores and the adjacent states in West Virginia and uh, Ohio had specific rules that prohibited Pennsylvania residents from flocking to these liquor stores because they couldn't get liquor in Pennsylvania. So I think you're going to see some of the same thing with if you've got very restrictive rules in, say, Nashville, and then the ring cities, you know, their guidelines are much less restrictive. There'll be some pressure, some competitive pressure. But we're telling people to pay attention to the rules that are local there. It's going to involve 50% in dining rooms in most places, some places a little bit less. It's going to require that employees wear face masks and gloves, which brings in the fear factor. And it's going to require that major surfaces like the front entrance to the door, the bathroom doors, cash re- crash register area, high traffic areas have to be sanitized every two hours. There's hand sanitizer sitting around uh, and there's a whole host of other guidelines. Rob, I know you work with a lot of distilleries and that have tasting rooms as well. I'm curious what you're seeing from, from that end of the business. Well, the biggest changes were what they did in response to everything. The reopening is still kind of TBD with them. They aren't restaurants, so they were allowed to stay open longer, but they still got worried, right? They didn't want to be put in the news as someone that, you know, hey, COVID virus contracted it, Distillery X. So they did eventually shut down their retail shops or did door deliveries, door door service. They can't deliver in some states, maybe others they can, but, you know, they're still allowed to produce their alcohol. You know, their whiskeys, their vodkas, their gins. But what we see is a lot of them shifted to making hand sanitizer, which I think has been in the news a lot. The first reason for that was just shortages. You know, we hear about shortages. Hospitals are running out. uh, Just general consumers were easily running out. And so they saw a, a niche there to possibly, you know, hey, we have some tank capacity. We have a still. Hand sanitizer has alcohol. Let's make some, right? Let's make some. And so they have shifted from doing all beverage alcohol to either all hand sanitizer or some kind of blend. It just depends on the size. The smaller distilleries may have no business with uh, the beverages you can drink. And so they shifted to hand sanitizer, whereas the big boys like Jack Daniels, 
obviously are still making Jack Daniels, but they've dedicated an entire still to making hand sanitizer. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think there's so many shifts going on right now, and I'm curious to know just from Will, maybe you could kick us off on this, but how are restaurants in particular, they've obviously shifted to, we're all familiar with the to-go orders and the curbside pickup. And how much of that, as we look at reopening, you think will kind of stick around as we shift to people coming actually back into restaurants? Well, we think that the fear factor is going to really play a lot into opening. I, I mentioned before gloves and masks and all sorts of things that when I'm a diner in at a restaurant, although I'm excited to go and dine in, I'm also apprehensive. To people that are a little bit less carefree, um, it's going to look dangerous. And so we have a lot of smaller restaurants that are probably not going to open their dining rooms and will move to a delivery model. Within a few hours of Metro Nashville uh, Mayor John Cooper issuing his roadmap to reopen, I reached out to some restaurants, some local restaurants, and roughly 200 of them had put together a poll and only one of 200 was planning on opening their dining room the first day that the mayor uh, allowed it. And what I think a lot of the smaller restaurants are going to do instead is, is they're going to reopen their kitchens and they're going to bring back some of their staff and they're going to start delivering for the first time. A lot of these restaurants just said, forget it. I'm going to conserve my cash. I won't make enough money. But by being open for delivery and pickup, it allows them to be able to pivot very quickly and if the fear factor is overrun by the stir crazy factor that people are tired of being cooped up at home and tired of looking at the four people around the table and want to see some new surroundings and maybe have, maybe be pampered by having somebody wait on them as opposed to waiting on themselves and doing the dishes. If that fear factor is overwhelmed by consumer demand, then the restaurants that have reopened for delivery and takeout can suddenly all they have to do is space their tables and set up and in a day or so you're open to the public. So I think it's a great way to gradually take advantage of the, uh, of the reopen. Yeah. And you talk about fear in terms of the guests, but there's also a fear on the restaurants, right? They, this 50% opening capacity is not going to cut it for most of them. You know, they don't make money off of that. You know, I've talked with one client kind of, you know, he ran the math for me. It was really eye-opening was, okay, say I'm allowed to open my restaurant to 50% seating capacity. Well, even before COVID, I wasn't 100% full all the time. You know, maybe I was at 80% capacity at a, on a good day. So really, we're looking at 80% of 50. So now we're at 40%. And then also that initial fear by the customers, they're not going to want to go out so fast. They're going to be scared off by the people in masks and gloves and hazmat suits serving them food. You know, so maybe we've dropped to 25 or 30% of actual capacity. So they're really going to be having a really lean revenue. And so it's going to take them a while, I think, to find out that balance of, you know, what they can do to make money, maybe limit their hours or only be open certain days a week when they know there's going to be higher foot traffic. You know, they're scared and I think they're going to want to start off slow and wait and see what they can do. Like you said, you know, do the more to go and carry out and, and delivery model first before they fully open up their uh, dining capacity. Yeah. And Rob, you know, I'm hearing the same thing. The economics of 50% do not work. Think about pre-COVID, you know, a restaurant that's doing really well turns the tables two or three times at dinner. And that's how you really make your money. Uh, that's how the servers make really good money. And 
if you make that 50%, even if you fill to capacity at 50% and can get diners in and out as fast, and I, I somehow or another doubt you can if you're sanitizing, you got to turn the tables four times at dinner in order to be able to make the same amount of money as you did before COVID. I don't see diners starting to dine at four o'clock and staying there until nine o'clock. And that's really what you're going to end up having to do to be able to turn the tables that much. So yeah, I mean, the economics are not there. I do believe that there's a sense of optimism that things will get better at, at a relatively good pace meaning that we're not going to be at 50% tables for a year because 50% for a year means we're going to see a lot of businesses go out of business. They're not going to be able to make it. But the idea is that as we gradually reopen and we ramp up the economy, we can start returning to normal. It might be a new normal, but for economic reasons, it needs to move towards where, where restaurants can turn enough tables so they get back to that profitability. I think there is optimism out there. Um, you know, I was talking with a client who has a cabin rental business. It's two different companies, but they're they're closely affiliated. Cabin rental business in the uh, Smoky Mountains in East Tennessee and a distillery. And they, because the governor in Tennessee reopening the state allegedly May 1, they decided to open up the cabin rent rentals, I think, for that following weekend. And they said within two hours, all their rentals were full and they did no advertising. They just said website on. And within two hours, people had filled them up. So, you know, they're they're now having to plan for the distillery. Hey, if we open up, we are we going to get a huge flow of people? Are people so, so tired of being kept at their homes that they're just going to go out and do something no matter what it is. So there is optimism there that pe- people are willing to go out, I think, and try this. But, you know, we all just have to be careful and see how it starts off. What about entertainment venues? Those that are, you know, maybe serve food and alcohol, but it's more around live music or bowling, a Dave and Buster, something like that. I mean, they have other things to worry about as well, especially if you think about sanitation. So I'm curious what you're hearing from clients and in, in that particular area. Well, you know, I was just thinking today we're we're in Nashville Music City and you know one of the things I've been disappointed with at both the the local level and the governor's orders, the guidelines prohibit live music. And I understand the concept of not wanting to have a concert and a rowdy crowd where where you worry about whether or not people are going to really stand 6 feet apart. But on the other hand, I don't think it's offensive to have, you know, a guy up front playing a piano and doing a little light singing because, you know, frankly, people are starved for entertainment. I see the Zoom stuff and neighborhood people, neighborhood gatherings. There's a musician in Hillsborough Village that puts on concert and people sit in lawns for two or three houses away. I've heard that happening across the U.S. It's quite popular. And I'm very disappointed that the guidelines don't allow socially safe distance music. But to answer your question, Morgan, so we are looking at in just looking at the Nashville guidelines, for example, bowling alleys and music are and bars are allowed in phase three. Uh, phase one is the restaurant openings. And then uh, so the bars stay closed at restaurants. We have some mixed purpose venues. Uh, we have one major venue that was getting ready to open. In fact, they got hit by a tornado before they uh, before they were getting ready to open and they magically were able to get repaired and ready for their super VIP grand opening, which was then canceled by COVID. So they have a full sit down restaurant similar to, well, you mentioned Dave and Buster's. Dave and Buster's is the same kind of thing. So um, they're a bowling alley, a concert venue and a restaurant. And we are telling them, Go ahead, open the restaurant, 
to the restaurant uh, specifics. People can't bowl, obviously. Don't even let people go in that area, maybe. They just put this area as closed, so there's no confusion about it. And obviously, you're not going to have a live show. You know, I haven't talked to any of the um, the entertainment venues like, like a Dave & Buster's or a main event, but um, I'm thinking the same thing with them. And, uh, you know, you open the restaurant, you do it at 50% capacity and follow the other guidelines. And I guess a real question is, is can I let the, the folks go in and play games? As long as they're social distant, they're more than you know, at least six feet apart. Uh, we're sanitizing the equipment, the game equipment regularly. Uh, any other things that would need to make it safe? I, I just don't know. That's not addressed by any of the orders that I've seen so far. It'll be really interesting as over the next few days as we see questions come in, because I'm sure people are going to have questions where there are no answers. You know, it's it's kind of the same stuff, right? The delivery is somewhat useful, but a lot of them are doing the carryout. You know, like you said, I don't want a really good steak because it's going to be cold by the time I get it. So if I'm close, I can hurry up and go straight home without having the delivery person stop by three different places. Um, you know, we have seen a lot of people move to online ordering, places that never thought about it before. That you can put your order in online, maybe schedule the time. I'm set to uh, this evening, go get some Mexican, and we're going to have a little front yard dinner with uh, my wife's brother and his family, recommending the, so you know, continuing the social distancing. But, you know, it I can order it online and set with time to pick up. And then I know it'll be ready around 530, pick it up and go to their house. Uh, I don't know if I've admitted a violation of the governor's orders yet, but, you know, I'll do the best I can. Hey, Morgan, one other thing that that's interesting about this delivery aspect. So when we worked as a there was a group of folks that worked to get to Nashville to do delivery for beer. And one of the key things that folks on that call agreed, and this was this was a brewery owner, a couple of restaurants was I want to put my employees to work. And this was right when they're shutting down. And so people didn't want to go on unemployment. And so the beer delivery laws that are adopted by the cities all require that the deliveries have to be made by employee. Now, the ABC adopted a much more, I hate to use the word liberal since since it's a Republican administration, but I'm going to. It's a much more liberal construction, and they allow third-party delivery services to deliver alcohol. Well, that's the Uber drive. And you know, one of the things when we were looking at doing delivery locally and talking about was the need to make sure that people get carded and that, and that intoxicated people aren't delivered alcohol. Because those are two really key things that key public safety requirements that, that servers are trained for. The Uber driver has no training for that. And frankly, doesn't care because nobody's going to do anything to the dude who drops off four of those little baby sippy cups of alcohol to a group of 19 year olds. They're hanging out at somebody's house. So um, and the other thing was, is that the beer order specifically says that if there is a sale to minor, they can revoke the privileges without even having a hearing if an agent cites somebody. And that was done so that if there was somebody that was bad and was delivering and didn't care about carding, they could shut them down right away. So. You know, we've got those kinds of issues that are out there. The ABC is not stinging. And so I doubt anybody hears anything about sales to minors, but it, 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 it could easily be happening. And with third party delivery services, you got to worry what's going on at the other end. Plus, if I can interject, um, you know, the idea of what's next, right? What happens after this? You know, I think we've talked to clients about you're allowed to do something that you're not normally allowed to do. We, tell, we advise clients, you better behave, right? Don't push the envelope too much because this might be something that you're allowed to do later on after this is all over. It requires some law changes maybe, but this is a good test case for the state and the city to see 
can y'all behave? If we if we behave, you know, we do the right thing, then it creates an opportunity to have a more permanent uh, presence of this type of business model. So that'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, I've been telling people, don't, don't be cute. You know, don't play up fast with the rules. You're absolutely right. Well, so I think that's a good segue, right, into what what of this is going to stick long term? And, you know, how does this impact the business in the near future and kind of moving forward? Um, what's here to stay? And I think some of that's hard to say right now, but would love to get your opinion on that. Yeah, so we've already started discussing that locally. The Metro Beer Board at, um, at Wednesday's meeting, we were discussing a framework for not only extending delivery more long term, but how we make it permanent. And one of the things that I've recommended is that they do it in phases where maybe they make it three months and during maybe the second month of it, they start actually stinging and seeing whether people are carting uh, and whether they're checking to make sure that people are intoxicated and seeing if there are any other rules that need to be layered in before they make it permanent. But yeah, I mean, we're, we're seeing it here in Nashville. The uh, city is, is really flirting with making beer delivery a permanent fixture. I know from the national level, I've got several clients that are asking, how do we make delivery permanent? Because people see this as a COVID has changed the way that people are, have lived. And although a lot of that's going to be temporary, I think one of the long-term impacts is going to be the convenience of delivery with a drink is something that people are going to want. You're going to want to be able to get a higher quality dinner delivered to you with a bottle of wine or your favorite cocktail or a local craft beer. And I think people are going to demand that from the consumer side. And I know our customer, our, our business customers, our restaurants are going to want to demand it because in the new normal, it's going to be hard to make a buck. So speaking of the reopening process, I think you guys have, have provided some of this already in our conversation. But if I'm you know, a restaurant, for instance, what kind of checklist do I need to look at? And what are some things that I need to consider before reopening? You know, as I think about what that means for my employees, what does that mean for my guests? Uh, you know, Rob, do you have any particular thoughts on that? I'll get started. I know we'll probably have some more. Um, you know, first, you got to worry about the health and safety of your employees. So the I think a lot of this guidance is going to require, you know, the masks and the gloves. Not, and probably even sanitizing the back of the house too. You know, they they can't. They're going to be changing gloves. They're going to have to go to the bathroom. You know, they they might be touching stuff back there without the gloves for a little bit, and then put on the gloves. But you still have to worry about them. You know, and then also worry about the safety of the guests. That's going to require just a lot of cleaning all the time. Um, the distancing is going to be hard, right? You don't know if the party of six that you're about to seat has been together before or if they're supposed to have been maintaining distances. That That's going to be hard for the restaurants. You know, checklist-wise, just, you know, you're going to need the right equipment. If, if you've been closed, you're going to still need food. A lot of these guys let all their food go, and they have to reorder, you know, from those food vendors, and that could take a little while. And again, knowing what you're going to serve. You don't want the full menu at first because you're probably only going to have a, a scattering of people. One nice thing that I've seen, at least in, in the, the local guidelines that have come out here, is the, the initial sort of recommendations looked like there were going to be things like you have to use disposable plates, you have to use disposable silverware, plasticware. And that's really sort of contrary to the dining experience. And I, I'm glad to see that at least so far, the guidelines seem to be giving some flexibility to restaurants to decide whether or not they want to use real plates and real napkins. You know, because there's nothing wrong with using a real plate. It goes into a dishwasher and it gets sanitized. So I'm optimistic that with those guidelines, you know, the restaurants will be able to 
give some of that pizzazz to the on-premise dining because that's what people are missing right now. I do use cloth napkins at home when I cook dinner sometimes, but you know, I think most people are probably taking the disposable plastic ware and the napkins that come and using that. The restaurant experience is nice, and I'm hopeful that there's going to be enough people who go, they're like me. I'm excited for my local restaurants to open. I want to go and patronize them. They've suffered greatly. These people, they're people, you know, servers that have not been making money. I want to tip them well. And I want to, I want to do so safely, but I want to make sure that we're putting money back into the economy. Yeah, I think that's, that's good advice, no matter, I mean, everything related to this pandemic, but particularly, I think, in this industry that's been so hard hit, it's, it's moving so quickly. And every day, it feels like it's, it's something new. You know, I, we've covered some of this, but I'd be curious to know, as the reopening process happens, it's obviously going to be gradual any other thoughts you have on, you know, what the future might hold, any predictions that you have? We've obviously talked about the delivery of alcohol, that that's, that's been so popular. And I think with consumer demand that the restaurants are also hoping that that will, will stay in place. But any other thoughts about kind of how the business model might shift? Yeah, so, you know, the, the specific guidelines are going to be state by state and then locality by locality where there are extra guidelines. And so what happens in Nashville uh, looks different than what's going to happen 10 miles away in Brentwood and Franklin, because Brentwood and Franklin don't have their own health department and they're not authorized to set their own rules. That said, I've heard some of the cities may impose additional rules too. We're tracking them uh, for Tennessee on a statewide basis at my blog, Last Call. Um, you can get that at uh, willcheek, W-I-L-L-C-H-E-E-K.com. We, I've already compiled uh, two blog posts, uh, one for Nashville and then one for the state's guidelines. The state's guidelines are still pretty bare, but you know the one that I think really sort of makes people worry is the amount of signage and the fact that the servers have to have masks and gloves. It's it's going to create a perception of safety, but it's also going to sort of reinforce the fear. Do I really want to be eating here? So, but the, the specific guidelines are going to change. So I encourage people to look for the most recent posts or news articles. If you're looking at something from last week, it very likely is out of date. So people look on the internet for information. I'm going to tell them, make sure that whatever you're looking at is recent. And if you're looking at old stuff, it's probably changed. I think it's going to be a shift of uh, the blend of on-site dining and off-site dining, whether it be delivery or carryout, I think will definitely change. It will it will shift more towards off-site. Not completely, obviously. There's still going to be dining. I, I like Will, I'm very much looking forward to going out to my favorite bars and restaurants and seeing old friends. But I think that that blend will be more off-site. They might even, you know, even shift their floor plans somewhat to accommodate that and take that into account. Well, and, and you know, actually, Rob, that, that's a good point. I've talked to um, a major restaurant chain, and they're already talking internally at a couple of their concepts. Delivery's been really good, and takeout's been really good. And their, and their concepts where the food lends itself to taking home and serving well. And so they're looking at going forward, shrinking the footprint in the dining room and taking the additional space and allocating it to make pickup much more efficient so that the Uber driver and customers can grab their food and there's more 
more room for them to be able to do that. So, yeah, I mean, we're already seeing people looking to the future and, and thinking in terms of how do we reinvent the way the restaurant looks, not only does how, how it works. So, yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to see some changes. There's also, I suspect before COVID came, there was a significant amount of distress and it wasn't just by, by restaurant operators that were not, you know, business savvy. There are a lot of bankruptcies and, you know, we just saw a major um, regional grocery store chain fold and close and liquidate. And so I think the cash pressure from COVID is going to make it more difficult for restaurants, at least in the next couple of years, to be able to survive. The strong players are going to get stronger and a lot of the weak players are just going to go away and disappear. What will be really interesting is, is what fills that void because there's demand for that food. And is it going to be more of the same old, same old, you know, more of the big guys, or is it going to be something new that we've not thought of? It's going to be a lot of independent restaurant operators. Is it going to be new concept like fast casual that came in in the aughts? So um, I think we're going to see a lot of change. It's going to be really interesting. It's going to be really exciting. It's going to be really scary for some people because not being able to tell what the future looks like can be daunting. Yeah. And challenging times like this, you know, and not just in retail and hospitality, but all over, you know, they spur innovation. You know, people come across obstacles that they did not foresee, and they have to think of solutions around them, through them, over them, or just completely different business models. And I I am, to to a point, to an extent, excited to see what people come up with. We could have completely new concepts or ventures, you know, or combinations of things. You know, I mentioned the cabins and the distillery. You know, maybe there's there's partnerships that happen that kind of cause people to join forces and, and take advantage of each of their separate uh, constituencies and to further both their goals. Um, but I think we're going to see a lot more innovation kind of through and after this as people try to survive. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point and, and something I wanted to bring up. I'm glad y'all you know, mentioned this just because I've, I've read of a lot of things either, you know, locally or in the New York Times, op-ed pieces from restaurateurs that are forming these, you know, groups together to say, we've got to, we've got to keep the industry intact. But, and, you know, the hope is that I think chain restaurants have their place and are great, but there needs to be this balance in the marketplace of, of you know, different options for consumers, high-end restaurants, locally owned, chain, fast, casual, you name it. But I think you're right. I've already seen a lot of innovation and, you know, restaurants and bars in particular. I've got a friend who's a restaurant owner and a chef and, you know, she's doing online classes and food deliveries to the houses of the, the recipe that's going to be made and people tuning in. And, you know, I think you're right. Hopefully there's a, a silver lining in all of this and that the market will shift where people want to go and that it'll still keep everyone happy with what, what the offerings are. Thank you for listening to this episode of Point by Point, brought to you by Waller. Visit the news and insights section of our website to listen to more episodes, subscribe to the podcast, find show notes and more.